With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, the best freaking Pac-12 podcast in the world, covering Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 gambling news, and the sleaziest of listener contests. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio, and we are in part nine of our 12-part series, breaking down every single Pac-12 team position by position. And for those that are... uh, that return from our podcast with Dan Rubenstein of the Solid Verbal. Welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you. It is, uh, and stick with us throughout the season. We're going to continue to do Pac 12 contests and we're breaking down every single week. We'll do previews and reviews and all that stuff. So stick around. It's going to be uh, awesome. You can check out our website, which is Wildcat Radio. AZ.com, WildcatRadioAZ.com, where we have all of our Pac-12 news and podcasts posted there. And you can follow the podcast at 12-Pack Radio, 1-2-P-A-C Radio on Twitter. And I am joined by Mr. Rob Bowron, the guru behind the Beta Rank Advanced College Football Statistic Model. What's going on, Rob? I am excited to be on number nine in our preview uh, and uh, be closing in on this because uh, we're closing. That means we're closing in on football season, like uh, college football starts in less than a week. That's awesome. So that means we have to do like three. Three previews back to back to back, and that'll be fun. Well, uh, Pac-12 football doesn't start for another two weeks, so we can we can sneak them in. Do you know what? Do you know what the first game is? Usually, it's in like China or the Moon or some like ridiculous <laughs> place. Um, you know, this year there's some mid uh, mid majors, not the right term, group of five teams that are kicking off um, early. I know. I think the second game is Wyoming, New Mexico State. And I don't think it's anywhere exotic. I think it's in like Laramie. <laughs> Laramie, <laughs> Laramie, Wyoming. I mean, it's it's, you're, it's the highest college football stadium in the country. Well, but. if you're from New York City, Laramie is very exotic. It's a whole different world out there. But Apparently, it's Duquesne versus UMass. Uh, so there's that. Barn burner. Uh, Prairie View versus Rice. Um, Hawaii is playing at Colorado State, and I was wrong, actually. Wyoming is playing at New Mexico State in uh, lovely Las Cruces, New Mexico. Oh, my. Um, And their stadium, if you've ever driven by it, looks like a very large uh, high school football stadium. That's great. And and they've been like – I mean, good is relative, but for – uh, for New Mexico State, they've had some interesting years where they've won like eight or nine games, which is certainly more than Arizona's won a number of occasions. They're so. like a fun. They're like a fun. And their, their coach, I think, is a is a pretty well respected guy that seems to be sort of just committed to you know trying to make this work. Well, New Mexico State is is a wonderful, beautiful uh, school and a wonderful, beautiful place. But uh, we are talking Stanford, and I'm excited about Stanford. There's so many intriguing teams in the Pac-12 this year, and uh, Stanford being one of them, it seems like they found a quarterback. It seems like they've lost their defense, which is the exact opposite of any Stanford team for the last, oh, I don't know, like 15 years. Um, so it's, it'll be really interesting to dig into this team um, and see what they have. And so Rob, just to explain to everybody. So uh, Rob has put together an advanced uh, college football statistical model called beta rank. And, um, and it's on our website, wildcat radio AZ. It's an excellent alternative to uh, Bill Connolly's S and P because uh, I think we add a little bit more. Uh, we, 
as if I was part of this. Uh, Michael Jordan and I both combined for 100 points today. Uh, no, but I think, Rob, you add uh, a little bit more uh, complexity to what we, we kind of uh, look at when, when we're looking at these uh, games. So t- tell us a little bit about Stanford on the offensive side because I was – it was just really interesting. Obviously, Bryce Love was such a monster, and we'll start with him after we talk about the quarterback position. But what what was this offense last year? So this offense was very, very good. They ranked out uh, number 19 in the country last season. Um, they were good at play efficiency. So play efficiency uh, is where we grade out their ability to put up in average yards for play, um, controlling for you know opponent uh, where they are in the field, whether it's garbage time or not. Um, they were good at drive efficiency, so good play calling. Um, they were they were able to put together long drives, ranking 19th. Uh, but Bryce Love gives you a very explosive offensive weapon, so they ranked 13th in explosiveness. Um, they could they could beat you with both long drives and explosive plays, which makes them a very dangerous offense. Um, they did go three and out a little lot more often than you'd like, so they ranked uh, 58th in negative drives. Um, so if there's something that they could, you could maybe say they could clean up coming into this year is, um, you know, making sure to stay on the field. Because when they did stay on the field, they tended to put up points. But as you alluded to, very, very heavy rushing team. Um, they were 13th in effective rush, 57th in effective pass. So even though Costello did play better than some of the quarterback play that they've had in recent years, um, they definitely need to, if they want to be an elite offense, which is what they project to be this year, they really need to clean that up and become a better passing team that can take some of the pressure off of love. Um, and yeah, that's, that's mostly where they, they sort of ranked out. They didn't, they, they, they didn't give up a lot of big, uh, big plays to the defense. So not a lot of sacks, pass breakups, interceptions, that kind of thing. Um, you know, didn't turn the ball over a lot, you know, very solid well put together offense for Stanford. Yeah, it was interesting. You mentioned the three and out um, level and the fact that that happened a little bit more. I would argue that that would be on KJ Costello in the sense of the games that I watched. And I'm sure Stanford fans will fight back on that. But um, it just seemed that a lot of people were and are very excited about KJ Costello and with with good reason. I mean, he is a steady quarterback in a uh, system that aside from two steady quarterbacks have lacked that. And it looks like David Shaw finally found his guy with that said, there were a number of drives and the San Diego State game uh, comes to mind immediately where uh, he just wasn't there. Like you could just tell that uh, he was wasn't making all of his reads and um, he was stalling the offense at some point. And, you know, Bryce Love is such a monster, uh, but he can't do it all by himself when they're stacking the box. So it'll be interesting to see if KJ Costello can uh, can really improve on a solid uh, first year, a 59% completion rate. He threw for 1,300 yards, 14 touchdowns, four interceptions, and that's fine. But it just seems that some of these pieces I've seen that are covering the Pac-12 are making KJ Costello to seem probably a little bit, they're putting more expectations on him than I would think are warranted. Do you share that opinion, Rob? What do you think about KJ Costello? Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the the pieces that have been written on him, um, you think he's sort of the second coming of, of Hogan. Um, and I just, I don't think we're there. Um, he's he's really got to, I mean, part of what you're talking about is his com- completion rate's fine if we're talking about like the 1990s. But for modern quarterback play, like you really need to be running a, a completion rate up into the 65% range. Um, some of that is that he is in the Stanford offense. Um, 
the quarterbacks are often using play action and a bit of misdirection off of the run, but so they may be taking longer shots down the field, but still like he needs to clean that up to get the offense to be able to stay on the field. His, his numbers are not, they're not, they, they don't leave you thinking that, you know, Stanford's going to be able to, if Bryce Love got hurt, to be able to rely on him to win football games. Um, Cause he hasn't been, I mean, there you, you, when you grade out of 57th in the past, you're, you're towards the bottom where we would expect a power five passing unit to be. Um, so you can, you can take some of that and say like, Oh, with Bryce Love, you know, like, you know, he could do more. He's just not expected to in this offense. But, um, I would argue that I think David Shaw is a good enough offensive offensive mind that uh, if if Costello could do more, they would do more with him. He's fine, yeah. and, and I hope he gets better. I really do because if Stanford's offense is humming at the level that I think some people think it will, uh, particularly with the offensive line and the running back and the wide receiving mm-hmm. core, which we'll get to because there are some really good pieces on this team. If they can get there, this is a team that uh, that will at least be interesting in the pac 12 we will get to the defensive portion because that's the biggest question mark but the second biggest question mark is whether or not costello can make the jump and i would i would push back a little bit on david shaw i mean i think he's a great defensive coach and he he'll stick to his guns but i think he tends to stick to them too much where i mean this is a program that has had what like probably 10 maybe not 10 maybe eight like five-star quarterbacks come through and and just not develop to the level that they should um obviously Andrew Luck, but that was under Harbaugh. You had Kevin Hogan come into his own in the last couple of years of the season. But I just, I just question the type of offense that David Shaw can, you know, how creative that offensive system can be. Now, when you have a, a weapon like Bryce Love, you know, what are you going to do? You might as well just, you know, dance with the one that brought right. you. But I just don't think, I don't trust this offensive staff to, be able to throw in the wrinkles that might keep some teams on their toes with with a quarterback like KJ Costello that had some pedigree coming into Stanford. Am I being unfair? No, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I don't think that when you look at these guys that I mean, some of these guys are coming into Stanford as, you know, guys that if they'd gone to another program, you would fully expect to go in and have a lot of hype coming into NFL draft day. And uh, you definitely wouldn't wouldn't say that about a lot of the guys that have come and actually played at Stanford and a lot of the guys that have come and left and transferred out um, because they didn't develop enough. And given the, the low level of quarterback play we've often seen from Stanford of late, like that's a pretty big indictment that guys are transferring out um, because they couldn't win the job and they haven't really developed enough. Now, I mean, I, I, I would sort of argue, I think there's a, a big problem is that these quarterbacks can't seem to figure out the sort of Stanford two-step, which is, you know, run the ball really effectively, be physical and then play action. Um, and they, these guys seem to be unable to, to grasp, <laughs> um, what that's going to take. And, but I think another part of it too, is that Stanford just has not recruited as well as they should have, uh, traditionally a wide receiver. Um, you know, they have some, they tend to recruit bigger guys. They tend to recruit guys that, um, can block very well. Um, and you may consider some sort of possession type receivers, but they're not, I don't think Stanford is getting out in front of anyone with their passing concepts. Yeah. Just, it speaks a lot of a program where the fan base goes, 
all right, we finally got our guy. 60% completion rate, 14 touchdowns. We got our man. You go, all right, right. All right. like, cool, man. That's fine. But I in mean, this offensive system. for 1,400 yards. <laughs> yeah, I know. In this offensive system, though, like, maybe that's that's all you need. And, and you just put the pressure on your defense. But with this defense that they have, and we'll get there, he might I would I would argue that Costello is going to need to show a little bit more, but uh, he is backed up by the most electrifying. I mean, we say that Khalil Tate's the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. And he probably is. But if there's like, you know, his road dog to uh, <laughs> badass Billy Gunn has to be Mr. Bryce Love. What do we have here in this running attack for Stanford? Yeah, I mean, he's simply the best back in the country. I mean, he's he's power moves speed. I mean, Love is just a machine. Um there's, I don't know that you can really. I don't know that there's another player coming back in college football that has his talent and resume um, in a lot of ways. There's, I mean, you can say on the defensive side of the ball, Ed Oliver. There's, there's almost no. I mean, it's rare for folks to come for anyone to come back and have you know these kinds of numbers and um, and also have you know be on a, a major power five team. Like sometimes you see guys coming back like uh, Richard Petty at, uh, or Penny at San Diego state um, last year who had, you know, a really, really big year, you know, the year before, but didn't, you know, leave. And um, love is, he's just the, he's the full package. I think he's, he's, it's always hard to repeat having a monster year um, the way, uh, just because there's always there's always it you know tends to be a little bit of regression. There's there was some luck involved in being great, um, but I would I, I think he could have another huge year if he doesn't get injured. Before we get even further into Bryce Love, let's talk about those numbers here. So because it's just incredible, this guy is so incredibly electrifying. Like anytime he touches the ball, I'm at the seat of my uh, at the front of my seat because he can rip off a 20 yard run at any time. Uh, last year. 263 carries, 2,100 yards, eight yards a carry, and 19 touchdowns. Like this guy is a total freaking boss. And and I want to like as you had talked about the production levels going down, and and I do want to speak to that because it could certainly happen this time. With that said, like historically, let's take a look at this. There have been 30 times in college football when a player has run for more than 2,000 yards. 30 times ever. Um, there are only seven running backs in the history of college football that ran for more than 2,000 yards and averaged more than seven and a half yards per carry. And those players are the following Barry Sanders, Melvin Gordon, Rashad Penny, Mike Rozier, Larry Johnson, and Tevin Coleman. That's it. And freaking Bryce Love. And Bryce Love, by the way, all those seven people that I just mentioned, none of them returned to their schools the next year. Bryce Love is the best college football running back ever to return to school. And it is just incredible the fact that he is going to be running behind this offensive line, which is so, so nasty. And we'll talk about them in a moment. But what I want to mention is the possible uh, drop-off in productivity, because Robbie just mentioned that. Um, some other players uh, that average more than, or that brought in more than 2,000 yards that returned to school, so the, not the seven that I mentioned that ended up going pro or graduating. Um, so like Ron Dane, Troy Davis, Christian McCaffrey, LaDainian Tomlinson, Lorenzo White, Damian Anderson, these are all players that, uh, aver- that average more than 2,000 yards of carry that return, and every single one of them did not increase their productivity in terms of yards per carry the next year. So certainly Bryce Love's numbers could dip, but he was freaking injured last year, Rob. Like how, <laughs> I, it's insane, but uh, like you were mentioning, there is some luck. Like, what do you expect from him? Do you think his numbers are going to drop? I think his numbers will drop a bit, and it's not just—it's not from 
that I think Bryce Love was any less amazing. I think there's just a bit of a luck factor that goes into any sort of outlier of a season. Um, I think Pac-12 defenses will be a little better um, than they were last year. The Pac-12 was historically bad last season. Um, most of the and, and if you looked at it, there was there was definitely some fall off on offense, but huge fall off uh, on defense across most of the Pac-12. So um, Bryce Love did not face a murderer's row of defenses last season. Um, I'm not saying that he's going to this season, but they should at least be incrementally better. Um, and. Folks should be, you know, they should have plenty of game film of their own players playing against him. Um, he was injured for a little bit last season. You know, you could have some worse injury luck. He could have some worse injury luck along his line, too, um, or at the quarterback position or, you know, some some mission critical part of what he needs. It's not uh, it's just it's hard to it's just very, very hard to repeat pure excellence like he had he was last season so i I fully expect him to again approach 2,000 yards um whether he gets over 2,000 again i uh, i'd put that more like 50 50 yeah that would be a historic achievement i mean he's the only one ever to do 2,000 yards eight yards of carry ever in the history of college football for him to do that again would just be uh like he would be the greatest yeah exactly well (laughs) not stanford players man they're always the bride please give him the heisman (laughs) like don't give it to another alabama player (laughs) yeah there you go um I have more concerns about who's behind him. Rob, you had mentioned that Stanford hasn't done a, a great job of recruiting wide receivers. I would make the argument that they haven't done a great job recruiting running backs. I mean, we've seen Cameron Scarlett for two or three years now. Um, Average four four yards a carry. Now that productivity did go up. I think he averaged like three yards a carry the previous year. But I just don't think he can be the guy. And uh, this guy Trevor Sprites, who's behind him, uh, Spites. Like I, I don't know. Like I just if Bryce Love gets injured, it doesn't seem like they have a legitimate number two. Do you share that opinion? Yeah, I think that what they have behind him is serviceable. Um, I don't think that what they have behind him could be your bell cow running back that gets you through, you know, potentially gets you to Santa Clara to play in the Pac-12 championship game again. I don't think you can, if you're Stanford, rely on Scarlet or Spites to get you past Washington um, with KJ Costello. This seems to be the year for Stanford. I think it's a smoke em if you got him here, and it'll be interesting to see if the defense steps up. But uh, on that running side, I mean, you just think of Stanford as that stereotypical running uh, offense that's the hits you in the mouth, and they may not have a bell cow next year. So hopefully Bryce Love stays healthy because it will be good for everybody involved, um, everybody watching and everybody in the Pac-12. So be interesting to see. You know, we look at the wide receiving core, and it's it's a stereotypical <laughs> Like wide receiving core for Stanford. Uh, JJ Arcea Whiteside, 6'3, 221 pounds. Trenton Irvin, 6'2, 200 pounds. Caden Smith, obviously, is a a tight end, but 6'5", 253 pounds. Like everybody on uh, Donald Stewart, 6'4", 194 pounds. These are all uh, Osiris St. Brown, 6'2", 184 pounds. Just giant people that can block and have good hands um, and usually can run good routes. It's just like, can they actually get the ball to them? Uh, It's just, it's, it's funny because if Costello gets there, he's got some really good weapons to work with, but they're not really the stereotypical like wide receivers that you would think of in like a high powered offense. They're just more, but I I don't know. What what do you think about this wide receiving core? I just, 
they look like the Stanford receiving core we've had just about every year, right? I mean, they're just not they, – they, they don't have the kind of speed – that you'd like to see to be able to, you know, put additional pressure on defenses. Um, and I don't think that there's, I, I don't think that they've been able to really connect with and, and sort of do the kind of intermediate routes that they really need to be able to run, to be able to put up, keep the ball moving, get first downs. I mean, stuff that a lot of teams spread teams do very well these days, which is not, uh, not in any way what Stanford does, mind you, they do not, um, but I think they do need to figure out ways to to put more on this passing offense. Um, and they, you know, the model really likes this offense. It likes how much pr- production they have returning so much on the offensive line, which we'll get to in a second. Um, you know, you look down these wide receivers and tight ends. You know, senior, senior, junior. Um, you know, that's that that speaks well. They should understand the offense inside and out at this point. Um, but are these guys going to be able to get open against some of the better passing defenses in the Pac-12? I don't know. Um, I don't think that they've shown that thus far. I kind of like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, uh, 6'3", 221. Uh, he was Pac-12 honorable mention last year. 781 receiving yards, 16.2 yards per catch, and nine touchdowns. So if they do have one threat that's going to really uh, – you're going to really have to game plan around, I would assume it's him. Uh, Connor Weddingen, Weddington was uh, a very highly recruited player out of high school. He comes in for his sophomore season uh, after having an okay freshman season, 243 yards, uh, only average about eight yards a catch. So it'll, it'll just be interesting. But I think White's, you know, if you're going to have a Pac-12 fantasy draft, Whiteside's going to be your guy. But, I mean, you can't talk about a receiving core without talking about the tight ends. Caden Smith was quite good last year. Colby yeah. Parkinson is a red, a freaking red zone dreamboat. It's freaking 6'7". <laughs> the guy's going to go up and catch a lot of balls. So it's a it's a fun offense. Like, And I can't believe I'm saying that about a Stanford team. But this this is a fun offense with some interesting players. Well, I think some of those stats look look good because they don't spread the ball around much. I mean, these are they don't substitute a lot of wide receiver. Um, I mean, really, they don't even substitute a lot of a ton at tight end. Um, and so these these guys are they're going to get their catches, um, you know, because there's no one else to throw it to, um, and there's not a ton of receivers on the field. So. I mean, it's it's sort of like compared to like a spread offense, you know, passing team, you know, these these numbers appear, I think, a little more favorable than uh, maybe they should, I guess, uh, given given, you know, the the parameters of the offense. But I I think they could be better. I mean, they just have to be. I mean, the, you, you can't go into this season missing the kinds of opportunities you have because from a just pure efficiency standpoint, if you can run the ball like Stanford could run the ball. Um, you should be absolutely able to play action into some very wide open plays. And it's nice to have someone like Trent Irwin blocking for you on the outside if you're Bryce Love. Yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. they, these guys, just like you mentioned, they, they recruit for people that can actually catch the ball, run good routes, and block. That, that's a, a must in the Stanford offense. But holy Moses, this this freaking offensive line, man. <laughs> Like uh, Costello could be, uh, you know, singing Kumbaya and roasting marshmallows in that backfield. What, what does this offensive line look like? This is probably the best offensive returning offensive line in the back 12. Uh, I mean, not probably. I mean, I think they are far and away the best returning offensive line in the back 12. They returned four starters um, who were all conference last season at uh, first or second team. I mean, just terrific. And if there's we talked a little bit about Stanford's 
quarterback recruiting, which has been lights out. I don't know that it will. I would be shocked if Stanford, if they don't turn it around and get some guys drafted, keeps the quarterback recruiting going the way they have. But offensive line recruiting, they have just been cleaning up. Yeah. And it really shows uh, when you look down this depth chart. I mean, these guys are big and talented. They're going to go on to the pros. Um, and in the case of these four, I mean, they've been playing together a while. I mean, this is a this is a really good line, solid unit. Um, and they should open up big holes for, for love and, uh, you know, mostly keep Costello's, you know, white uniform clean. <laughs> Nate Herbig, all Pac-12 first team, 6'4", 348 friggin' pounds. Like, yeah. <laughs> but not like a fat 348 pounds, a, a friggin' athlete 348 pounds. It is amazing. And like you mentioned, Rob, players like Walker Little, who came in as a freshman, uh, made the freshman All-America team, Pac-12 freshman co-offensive player of the year as a friggin' uh, – <laughs> offensive yeah. lineman which is I mean, six seven with huge arm i mean well that and like a, a player like foster uh Sarrell, who was also a five-star recruit who saw the field but did not start i mean they just this this is a deep and talented line who will make sure that this stanford offense has every single chance it can uh to score and put up big plays and keep these drives going and it will be a privilege to watch them play but really the biggest question uh, rob is on the defense here um this was a team that did not live up to expectations particularly in the secondary where i thought they were going to be awesome and and even the the front seven you have that party in the backfield meme that everybody kind of remembers about stanford um yeah what what happened and what did the numbers tell about this defense because the the name on the front of the jersey didn't really reflect uh the productivity of the players that were wearing said jersey no, this was the worst Stanford defense in a long time. Um, they graded out at 73rd in the model. Um, they were 88th in drive efficiency, so they could give up some long drives, um, which is never a good sign. They were 110th in play efficiency, so you could put up some good yards per against them. Um, they were reasonably good, not great on explosiveness, ranking out 44th. So they tended not to give up as many big plays as maybe you'd expect given their overall ranking. Um, but they rank 69th in negative drive. So they also didn't cause as many three and outs as really you need to, to get off the field. Um, they're 57th against the run. They were 84th against the pass 99th on third down. Um, not really causing ranking 60th, not really causing nearly as enough disruptive plays as you need to cause as a defense. Um, and really there's, they have almost no excuse for it because the Stanford offense was so good that they actually ranked number one in field position, um, average field position. Oh, so, no. um, the, the Stanford defense was very bad. They weren't good at, at getting to the quarterback. Um, the defensive line fall off was really pronounced. But, I mean, they were on a 3-4, so it's not as if their linebackers, if you look at their linebacker stats, weren't as what you were, you know, would necessarily be hoping for either. Uh, and I guess what really troubles you is, is like the offense returns a ton of production and offense is actually more related to returning production than defense is. The defense is actually a little more highly correlated with recruiting. Um, but the offense for Stanford projects to be number six next year. Um, this Stanford defense, as bad as they were last year, ranking 73rd, they lose a ton. I mean, this they don't have. Um, you know, much coming back on the defensive line, really in particular. Yeah. So friggin' Harrison Phillips, 
who last year we asked if he was uh, if he was elite, and the, the reason was because he was playing beside some other freakish freaking nature that <laughs> that went and played on the in the NFL for Stanford. His name escapes me right now, but so we were wondering, okay, is Harrison Phillips was he getting those numbers because you know somebody else was hogging all of the attention, or is he the real deal? And the question was, oh my gosh, this guy is freaking amazing. He had 102 tackles, 16 and a half tackles for a loss, six <laughs> quarterback hurries, and two forced fumbles. And he was 6'4", 295 pounds. Like, that is unheard of. He is making a ton of money now in the NFL. He's gone. And behind him on the defensive line, really the bread and butter of the Stanford defense for years is quite thin. Now, they do have some players coming in. They have the eleven number 11 strong side defensive end. They have the number 7 strong side defensive end. They they have some players, number 14 tackle and Dalen Wade-Perry. With that said, those are all young players that have not seen the field. And you look at returning production, and it's like Dylan Jackson, 36 tackles, one and a half tackles for a loss. Uh, Joven Swan, 25 tackles, three and a half tackles for a loss. And now I think Swan's going to be better, but it's not. I mean, when you look at the past recruiting, not including last year, it really hasn't been at the level that you would assume a Stanford defense would have, right? Yeah, it's been a little lower than uh, you'd expect. And I, I think that really hurts them because they might have to rely on some young players. And I mean, while in defense, you know, recruiting matters a little more than an offense. I mean, defense is reaction. Um, so it's more pure athleticism. Um, I don't I don't know that you look at this and think, oh, yeah, like they're just going to be able to plug and play into this defense. I don't think you are. And I, I think in particular when you run a three, four and you need some space, you know, you need some space heaters up front that can also get into the backfield and get some tackles for a loss. It really does help you to have experience along the defensive line, uh, even more so than in your linebackers. who can you can sort of like it ahead of steam. So I I'm not optimistic, actually. I, I think I think this defensive line um is going to take a step back. I think it's one of the things that if, um, you know, for Stanford fans, you know, what you see getting posted online from, um, you know, the folks that cover Stanford is this is where the major concern for the team is. Um, I think there's some hope about Swan, um, you know, but if you, if they find themselves not generating production out of these folks and, you know, they're playing some of their guys that have come in and, uh, you know, they're freshmen or sophomores, um, you know, and they're getting, you know, starter, you know, starter reps like they're in trouble. This is why Stanford is a four to one underdog or maybe it's like three to one to win the Pac-12 North. It's because there are zero stars on this defensive line yet. I mean, big emphasis yeah. on the yet. There are some players that really could step up, but they haven't yet. And we're, we're just not used to that with a Stanford offense. And there's some young players on here like, I mean, I don't think Jackson or Michael Williams is going to step up against Swan could as a junior, but you are really digging deep with your freshmen and sophomores, which is not a stereotypical Stanford defense. Usually think of these four five year seniors that, that are on the field that are tearing people's heads off and uh, maybe they could get there. But if you're saying Rob, that there's a chance of them taking a step back, this wasn't a productive unit even last year. So uh, that is the, (laughs) that's the big alarm bell right there. No, and I, I mean they've recruited well enough that the model likes them to improve significantly. I mean that's how well they've recruited um, on defense. But I mean, like if you were to flip this around and say, like you know, say you know, like take Oregon for example, who was very bad on offense last year, um, partly because Justin Herbert was hurt. 
you know, you have Justin Herbert coming back, you know, he doesn't have an extensively long track record, but he has a lot of physical tools, a lot, you know, you can definitely talk yourself into and see a lot of upside with that. Um, this Stanford defense was pretty much as bad as the Oregon offense last year. There's, there are no Justin Herberts waiting in the wings that were sort of injured last year that sort of caused this fall off. Um, it's just bad play. Um, and I, it's not that I, do, I think the, you know, the defensive coordinator hasn't changed. Uh, Stanford has had some very, very good defenses, defenses under him in the past. But I don't know this defensive line. If you were asking me if I think that they're going to be able to plug, you know, plug run holes and be able to also provide additional uh, pressure on the quarterback, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my money on it. Well, then moving to the linebackers, you think of Stanford and you think of. Uh, just the murderer's row of players they've had Shane Scoff, Chase Thomas, Blake Martinez. I mean, really, really awesome players. Um, me, you know, there might be one here in this linebacking core. I think that it could be a strength. You certainly have some, some experience and some players coming back from injury. It's kind of funny. It's like they lose two, but they bring two back. <laughs> so it's almost as yeah. if they didn't lose uh, any starters just because of injuries last year. But, um, I, I would assume that you can argue if you're a Stanford fan that this is the bright spot, um, of the defense. What do you, what do you see in this linebacking core here? There you see just an immense amount of experience, right? I mean, senior, 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 senior. I mean, junior. Um, and all with all with like twenty five to one hundred tackles. I mean, so right. yeah, like seniors with experience, yeah. Right, but none of them with uh, that many tackles for a loss, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, not a lot of QB sacks, you know, just that's, that's what you're sort of, you know, missing in this. And, you know, a three, four, you know, you got to, one of your linebackers, you know, on passing downs is going to be rushing the quarterback uh, in a lot of cases. And you, you know, you need to see these guys getting into the backfield and, and making more noise than these guys have made in the past. So, yeah, I mean, it's, when you see a linebacker running up like uh, Okariki, I'm going to, that, I probably just massacred that. I think it's Okarike. Okarike. Mm-hmm. Oh man, um, <laughs> got him. I'm probably I'm, wrong too. It'll be good. It'll be, I'm, pronoun- I'm pronouncing it. this e differently than that e. Um, <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> this is why they have accent marks in French. Um, I think that those 96 tackles you start to look at. Um, it starts to look a little bit like Arizona's defense last year, where like your linebackers are racking up all these tackles, but where were they? Um, yeah. not a lot of those tackles were in the backfield. A lot of those tackles were, you know, past the line of scrimmage for Stanford. Um, are those good numbers, uh, for them? And I, I'm, I'm not sure they are. I, I, I think that this team, uh, really has a lot to clean up. Even you, you feel good that you have a lot of experience here. You feel less good that, you know, you feel less good that this experience basically did not play well at all last season. The one thing with Okarike is that he did have seven and a half tackles for loss and four yeah. quarterback hurries. But to, to your point, too, I'm kind of like trying to reemphasize that's the best that they had last year from in yeah. terms of returning production. The one thing to mention is that there were some injuries last year. You had uh, Joey Alfieri and Sean Barton, who both are for all intents and purposes quite good that return and i would argue that alfieri was supposed to be kind of a rock star of this linebacking core and he ended up getting uh, pulled out i mean he wasn't able to have a breakout year whether or not he can do that he's very versatile he could kind of play inside and outside and i think they're moving him to the outside this year um it'll be interesting to see if he can really tear it up because he's gonna need to right 
Yeah, if they move him to the outside, they're expecting him to be able to get to the quarterback. I mean, you only see, you know, inside rush linebackers like Scooby Wright, you know, once in a crazy generation like you. You're you're normally getting you're normally sending an outside linebacker on the on the blitz. Uh, so he really needs to get to the quarterback and get into the backfield for them. Yeah, Jordan Paris is a redshirt senior, kind of your stereotypical Stanford linebacker, 66 tackles, but again, only two and a half for a loss. Now he was more on the inside. Sean Barton should be able to push for his inside position. So I think what you're going to have is uh, Okieri on the outside. And I'm mixing up. <laughs> I got the two names. Uh, Joey Alfieri on the outside, Okarike on the outside, with Perez and Barton on the inside, with Curtis Robinson, who was a five star, uh, if I recall, a five star guy that uh, committed to Stanford, kind of trying to push his way into the mix. But I don't know, man. Like, and, and then when you look at the secondary here, first of all, they have an incredible um, safeties coach. I mean, the, the fact that they got Dwayne. Uh, I, uh, Akina, Akina, yeah. yeah, that guy is if, all across college football. He's seen as one of the best secondary minds in the country. With that said, this this secondary wasn't all that good last year with a player that they had. I mean, they they had uh, they just lost Quentin Meeks to the NFL, and he was a lockdown corner. And even with, and they had Justin Reed. Even with those two guys, they still weren't quite that great at uh, at pass defense, right? Yeah, I mean they. Their trouble is, is they gave up, you know, if you look at relative to who they were playing um, and I mean, they just gave up with a lot of yards per pass. Um, so Stan, I mean, the Stanford defense, you know, like, yes, you saw the USC's of the world line it up and, and run the ball at them. Uh, and that actually worked well for USC in two games. But lots of other teams were able to show up and throw the ball on Stanford. Um, and it was it was not pretty you know, for long stretches for this, uh, for the secondary, you know, like they, they had some highlights and these guys went out to the NFL. So, um, you know, clearly it didn't hurt them. Uh, but they, they now take away from that. I think if I was going to, if I was going to put blame last year, it was mostly on, they just didn't get to the quarterback, um, nearly enough. I mean, other than Phillips, what did they really have as far as a rush went? They didn't have one. So, um, these guys were often asked to cover for longer than they should have been. That's very fair. And just to be fair to the secondary as well, the Cardinal had to play Sam Darnold twice, Josh Rosen, Luke Falk, Jake Browning, and a mature and refined Kenneth Hill. So, I mean, like there, there were some good players. Now I know the model <laughs> takes them into consideration the strength of schedule. Yeah, You don't get, you do like, you are getting graded basically like always on, you know, against who you actually played. So the model did take that into, you could argue that maybe the model didn't grade because of injury. Like Rosen was out a little bit last year. So maybe UCLA's offense was actually a little better than, but, um, the, Stanford, I believe, also got Braxton Burmeister. So yeah, yeah. I, I was going to make a joke about him being uh, one of the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, when we look at the the cornerbacks here, I would assume that Elijah Holder, six two one eighty four, is going to be the bell cow corner, the top guy. I am uncertain if Alamine Murphy is going to be able to step up. He kind of played some time at the nickel and has worked his way up as a starter, but it looks like Holder could be that next Stanford corner that you're going to see in the NFL. Uh, you know, on the, I, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens at the safety position because normally <laughs> they bring in really solid 
uh, that one I'm a little bit less worried about because they usually bring in the, the athletes to step in. And I would argue that it's usually easier to play safety than it is corner because corner, you got to actually face the guys mano a mano or secondary. You have to have good instincts and there's a certain skill set to that too. But um, it seems like in college football, it is harder to get those lockdown corners. Um, so I'm not as worried about the, the safety position. Frank Buncombe should be fine. Uh, ben Edwards should be fine. They both averaged uh, about 40 tackles last year. They didn't have a lot of the havoc uh you know inducing numbers but they were also mm-hmm. uh not asked to i think that was more put on oh shoot the guy that uh, justin reed is the 99 tackles five pass deflected <laughs> like he, he was awesome yeah. uh, five interceptions six pass deflection uh but i don't know like it'll be interesting to see they, they got this kid named paulson uh uh Adebo, who is a 14 number 14 corner in the 2018 class who should be interesting to watch but uh it just doesn't seem like i think this will be an improved unit but um that all depends like you mentioned on the pass rush so so where where does did the model like specifically talk about where the different position uh like is there a pass defense uh model prediction or is it just defense in general just defense and I mean, I wish I could get to that level of specificity um, on trying to guess based on, but we don't, I don't have uh, that broken down of production numbers returning for it. So someday in the future, what um, is the projected defense this year though? Is it, I think it's 30, it's right? 30. And it's, so that's a big, I mean, that's a big jump. That's like a, we hired a new defensive coordinator and he's, you know, brilliant at X's and O's type jump. Um, most of that, if you look at it is, I mean, they do get credit. They have a lot of returning production. I mean, you see a lot of seniors here, um, the, but the, they don't, and they've recruited very well recently. Um, so that, that definitely helps in their defensive, um, projection, but I just, I'd be surprised if they live up to 30. I mean, I'm not saying that they don't improve on 73. I think they can improve on 73. Um, but you, I think that the argument that you end up making is an argument that I always find I'm very cautious with is, you know, sort of an addition by subtraction on defensive line. And, um, you know, I just, I don't know that, I don't know that I look at those guys and see that for this team this season. So, um, I don't know that they reach 30. I think maybe if you split, I mean, if you split the difference, I'd be comfortable saying that. So this defense may end up somewhere in the fifties, um, which their offense projects to be number six. So that would be very good for Stanford. The trouble is that, um, that puts you in range where if Oregon outperforms expectations, you know, you could get easily passed as the second best team in the North. Well, I would, I mean, if, if Stanford gets to 30 on defense, I think they win the Pac-12 North, at least. I would assume the South, too, because the North is significantly better than the South this year. I mean, Washington still projects better than them, even if they hit their projection. I mean, I just – I'd be surprised. Yeah, I, I just – for me, like, even if even if their quarterback doesn't make the jump uh, on Stanford and Bryce Love and that offensive line just do the regular Stanford thing and their defense is at 30, like – that that just I I would trust that defense if it's at that point in some yeah. of these bigger games against better teams because the offensive line can at least get them a couple points. So if the if the defense can hold these teams to seventeen you know, to twenty one points or whatever, that gives Stanford an opportunity to win big games and they ha- and they need to this year. It's like it's they play Utah, Notre Dame, Oregon, USC, and there's one other team, Washington. Um, they play all of those this year. 
And that's why the model has them at, you know, their expected wins is 8.7. So roundabouts nine. Yeah. And the reason is because they play Notre Dame, Oregon, Utah, Washington, and, and USC. Well, I, mean, I will find out about this defense early. I mean, they're going to get, uh, I mean, USC could still be figuring it out in week two, you know, who their quarterback is, but their offense projects to be better. I mean, USC played well under their talent level last season. So, um, and they get Oregon the week after and Oregon projects to be significantly better. And, you know, we'll see if, if they can live up to it, but you know, Notre Dame Winbush is back. Uh, so we should know by the end of September, whether the Stanford defense is actually going to live up to their projection. Right on. So your personal opinion, playing NCAA <laughs> football, 2018, where would you, what grades would you give the offense and the defense? Oh, this offense is an A+. Plus. I mean, this offense. Oh, pro- you're a crazy oh, person. You're crazy. I'm not a crazy person. <laughs> this offense projects as number six. Like, I I just, they have so much returning production uh, on this offense. Uh, and it's just an otherworldly player. And honestly, like, if you if you told me you, you could put almost anybody behind this offensive line, and I would probably at least give it an A-. minus. Um, I, mean, I mean, it is amazing, to your point. It's amazing that they have, I thought you were going to say, if you could name one player to put behind this offensive line, you would put Bryce Love. And that's probably the right answer. It's like any player right. in the NCAA this year, Bryce Love is the guy to have behind this offensive line. So that's a fair point. Right. I mean, I'm, a, I'm just a, I'm a huge believer in Stanford is screwed a lot of, I mean, they cannot seem to develop quarterbacks consistently, but holy moly, like your offensive line is your bread and butter. I mean, it's something that seemed to have forgotten on the defensive side of the ball, that their defensive line needs to be developed and recruited well. Um, But I just, I think you can always win eight games with a really good offensive line. So um, I would give, I would, I would go that high for them for offense. What about defense? Um, uh, This is a, I mean, you get a, they get a, they get a C plus. Um, yeah, we've been grading just, pretty easy on some of these. Like, I think we have Colorado like a C or something. We're good. Yeah, we that do. defense sucked last year. Uh, I mean, but this defense was as bad as Colorado's last season. I mean, it wasn't like in it wasn't in Arizona or UCLA or um, Oregon State range. But I mean, this is a very bad defense last season. <laughs> so, um, color. I've tried to think. I think Colorado projected somewhere at least in the. Eh, no, Stanford projects a lot better. I mean, it may not be fair, I suppose. Maybe Colorado should be somewhere along as a C-minus on defense. But um, they're, they, they've got to – I mean, after last season and as much as they really lost uh, along the defense, they got to prove it uh, to make me a believer that they can get all the way back into being a B-plus B defense. I'm with you. Give me a B plus for the offense because of the quarterback questions. Um, I just think that a quarterback. You are crazy. You are crazy. <laughs> like, this, like this. Like if he threw. You have to have a quarterback, man. Like 1,300 yards. That's not, that's not an A. They were, they were the number 19 offense in the country last year with like, you know, somebody like putting up single wing numbers at quarterback. Like, come on. Okay. And, and he could, and he could make a jump too, but I'm still giving a B plus. I, I, I just, uh, I want to see it a little bit more from the quarterback. 
quarterback. Who's an A offense? Who is an A offense? And this offense is the best projected offense in the Pac-12 in, in the model. Like, who's an A offense in the Pac-12 then coming in this year if oh, it's not Stanford? <laughs> I'm trying to think. Like, yeah, because do we give do we give Arizona an A because of Khalil Tate? Like, no, not with the <laughs> offensive line. No, shoot, that might be a good question. Uh, I guess I kind of have to. All right, all right, whatever. A minus, A minus. <laughs> <laughs> you're like we haven't graded hard enough so i'm gonna grade hard on bryce love yeah, like <laughs> so i'm cracking down on the a student uh, yeah the one guy too um on defense give me a c but i well give now nah, give me a c plus because i do think you're gonna see some improvement in the secondary and there's their linebacking core is fine but like really big big questions on that defensive line it's just i think we're gonna see a lot of young people which is gonna be really interesting for a, a stanford defense uh rob we only have two teams left man asu and oregon state that's that's crazy no and we're like saving asu because we are gonna disagree so hard do you like them this year i don't like their schedule but i think that they will i think that they're gonna look uh, it could look ugly in non-conference and i think that they could uh ruin some people's seasons in conference play oh my gosh they lose so much productivity on the defense and eno benjamin's break or whatever oh yeah okay let's leave let's save that one to the end because yeah but i was like manny wilkins is like criminally underweighted underrated and he has to kill harry to throw to and i i like their defensive coordinator hire a lot that is true. I keep looking at it the, because their offensive coordinator, I think, called plays for Kansas, right? Yeah, he's an air raid guy. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sold on him as being like the smartest air raid hire you could ever make. <laughs> but <laughs> I think if you told me that I could run the air raid and have Manny Wilkins throwing to Nikhil Harry in it, I would probably take that. Yeah, that's true. And which is a good thing to mention. So we um, on the website, we're doing this series of Pac-12 players you should know where Ryan Ringdahl, who writes for us and is quite a good writer, uh, is covering the seven players in the Pac-12 that could be the best in the country at their respective positions. And we just released one about Nikhil Harry. So check it out. Um, and we're doing the Crayola drawings with that, too. So uh, th- that one is one of the better ones we've done this year. Um, any Anything else, Rob? No, no, just two more to go. I'm excited. And I'm, I'm more more than more than just excited to do the previews. I am really excited for some honest to goodness football. Yeah, I know it's it's amazing. Like I'm spending more time now. <laughs> than we probably will do during the season, but uh, the season is way it's more true. exciting. But I love well, I love talking before the season, trying to figure out what's going on. I'm like two weeks away from people like subtweeting me about how stupid my math is and how much I hate I hate their team and I designed an entire model just to tell them that their team sucked. So well, the Utah hype machine is in full force right now, and it's I'm have not, they looked at their schedule? That that's the thing, right? Like I think <laughs> I think Utah is a really good team this year. I think they're going to be significantly better. They might have the same record. Well, no, I think last year they did really poorly, but they they could get to eight wins and and. But the, the the schedule is so crazy. It's, I'm just looking at Here's the, they're playing. All the teams they're playing are better than them. Like even though they've improved, that doesn't oftentimes lead to a 10 win season, like some people think. But well, here's the problem: is everybody's sort of like penciling in that they win all the toss up games, which like so, some team will in the Pac-12. Like some middling team will win most of their toss up games. Like that'll happen. But. Um, like I think Utah's going to be better than their record looks this season. I think they could go seven and five, six and six, and still be one of the top twenty-five teams in the country. But I have 
I just, I've talked myself into Oregon. I genuinely believe Oregon's going to be like knocking on, knocking on Washington and Stanford's door this season. Um, and everybody that plays Oregon in the South, which I think is everyone except, is it Colorado? I think it's Colorado and USC don't play them this year. Like, like you could just be looking at a loss right there. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> I think Oregon's going to be that good. Um, and I think ASU could sneak up on some people and Arizona certainly could too. So, uh, it's not, it's not that I don't like, I just, I think, I think Utah is fine. I just like a year that you have, they have Stanford and Washington and Oregon on their schedule from the PAC 12 North. Like that's just not your year. Like well, yeah. you, your trying- year is, your years when those, you know, you at least roll two of those off and two of them go play USC. <laughs> you know? Well, and their trench play is going to have to prove it. Like last year, so every year we write this 130-page magazine previewing the back 12 And last year, they didn't have the names at, uh, I mean, they had Lotulele, of, of course, and, and they had the other guy there too, um, who, who was excellent. Um but their offensive line, like we wrote a whole paragraph on basically they, they are kind of like Apple where it's like you don't have to describe the players on their offensive line. It just works like that was kind of like yeah. what Steve Jobs would say about them. And and we had trusted USC for that long. Last year, their offensive line was kind of a mess. Some of it was on the quarterback play, but a lot of it was on the offensive line. And they're going to have to prove it this year. And they lose two ginormous guys on the defensive line. And I just don't know where that defensive line is going to be. So in a year where they play all this huge talent uh, in terms of a really tough schedule and they have questions in the most important trenches that you're going to have, uh, it'll be just really interesting to see what happens. It'll be fun because normally Utah fans don't like advanced stats because because of coaching and special teams. And they just, you know, I think it's actually mostly coaching. They just tend to outperform. I don't know, in wins and losses, what advanced stats often says about the team. But I, th- I think I said it when we did the Utah preview. I mean, this could be the year that it's the opposite. I think Utah, because of the schedule, could have a very tough record. And um, the advanced stats could be saying, no, no, this is one of the best, you know, top 30 teams in, in college football. Yeah. And shout out to our friends at the Utah Man podcast who does excellent work. Those guys are great. And I was listening to their podcast today um, on the way back from California. It was very, very good. So so uh, check them out. And I'm assuming like probably a third of our because the Utah fan base is so good. A third of our fans yeah. are probably Utah fans. So uh, we're excited to see how that team performs. I want them to be good. I don't want them to be as good as Arizona, but I still want them to be very good. because uh, <laughs> I really do like Utah. Uh, I think it's a good team and they've built up a big program. But that is neither here nor there. Uh, Rob, thanks for coming on. And uh, we will get you Oregon State next. And we're going to end with Arizona State. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks. So they're kind of a fun story. I, I think uh, Bill Connolly sort of got on their bandwagon last season. Oh, did you just die? Did you fall down the ladder? Something just <laughs> fell in my house. Yeah, well, you, want to, you want to check <laughs> Yeah, that? hold on one second. By the way, everybody, this is totally staying in the podcast at the end. Okay, no worries. Just a bag full of swimming clothes left on the stairs. Oh, okay. It wasn't like Santa. 
<laughs> Said, yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, I'm early this year. Surprise! <laughs> All right, well, let me get, give me like three seconds. So I, there's a pause here.